So today we have, uh, we're, we have reached the last installment of our um, spring training series. And even though I don't necessarily need it as sort of a crutch, I've been leaning on this thing for the last couple of weeks because I didn't feel all that great and I don't need to, but I just gotten used to walking around with this thing. I like it. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and we're gonna pass these out to the security team after this week. Uh, it's gonna be great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we have, we have dived into something called spring training because every year, all of Major League Baseball teams, they gather at least a month before the season begins to go back over the basics because they got to remember why they're there. They got to practice the, the things that will allow them to accomplish their goals. And they do that in spring training. And I think it's important for us as a church to learn from that and come back once in a while to those very basic fundamental things that are critical to the success of our mission as a church. So in the course of spring training, we've gone over a few things. Uh, we've gone over our common goals. And our common goal as a reminder, because I don't want anybody to miss this, our goal as a church and we share this goal with any church that rightly raises the name and the banner of Jesus Christ. Our goal is to win the lost. It is the Great Commission. And in living out the Great Commission, we also simultaneously accomplish the Great Commandment of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. because nothing could be more in line with the Great Commandment than living the Great Commission. That's our goal. That's why we're here, church. We don't just gather every Sunday morning because we don't have anything better to do. We gather because God has brought us together to reach the world and especially Southern Illinois with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So our goal, our common goal is the Great Commission. We've talked about teamwork. We have talked about discipline. And last Sunday, we covered both of those topics. This morning, we're gonna look at care and we're gonna look at sacrifice to sort of wrap this up. So I just wanted you to remember, these are sort of the ideas, that these are the basics, these are the essentials that just like a baseball team in spring training, these are the things we've gotta know that we're doing well. All right, so we're gonna start this morning with the idea and the topic of care. And before we do that, would you join me in going to the Lord in prayer? Father, we lift this service before you. God, there is freedom. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. And yet, Lord, we're only free when we live in that freedom by living as you've directed us, God. When we, when we veer off course, Lord, we bear the weight of that. We carry those burdens that you told us not to carry because if we live in alignment, God, with your will and your guidance, then God, there is nothing sweeter. There's nothing more fulfilling. There's nothing more rewarding. So God, help us. Help us to embrace those things that bring us into alignment with your purpose in our life and in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's talk about care. And, and I want to approach this maybe from a slightly different uh, angle than, than you might think. Um, the, 
baseball season just kicked off on Thursday, right? And uh, there's 162 games in the Major League Baseball season before they get into uh, the playoffs. And uh, obviously only a small number of teams compared to all 30 teams that are in Major League Baseball will actually get into the playoffs. And so at the start of the season, hope is high. Everybody's excited, man, dreaming. Hey, maybe we're going to get to the World Series this year. But somewhere maybe about halfway through the season, that excitement starts to wear off for some teams. Why, why, do, why do some teams start to lose enthusiasm? Because they're not what? They're not winning. You ever notice that? When teams start to lose on a regular basis, week in and week out, when, when they no longer feel like they're really in competition to accomplish their goals, all of a sudden that enthusiasm starts to wane, that enthusiasm, that, that excitement, it starts to diminish. But on the other hand, those teams that are winning, man, enthusiasm is high. Now, there's a long way to go in the baseball season, so I'm going to swap to a different sport for a moment. Right now, we're in, the, we're in the final stages of March Madness. College basketball season is almost over. And if you want to know what it looks like to be enthusiastic about being on a winning team, there, there have been some crazy games that have gone right down to the wire. And, and it's like, you know, the, the uh, thrill of victory, the agony of defeat, as the old ABC Wild World of Sports used to say it. There are some teams, that are, they're so close, they almost got there, and then they missed that, that shot at the buzzer, and oh man, there's so much agony, but the other team is losing their minds in celebration. There is something so incredibly exciting about being on a winning team. It's contagious. It's, it's motivating. It, it's something that, that's magnetic. Everybody wants to be around the winning team. You want to be in the middle of all of that. And, and here's, here's a, an interesting thing. If you ever find yourself on one of those teams and, and in the middle of that, not only do you want to be in the middle of it, you wish that everybody you knew could be in the middle of it with you experiencing what you're experiencing because it's so good. But here's... Here's a really fascinating thing about that enthusiasm, that excitement of being on a winning team. Everybody wants to be on one, but not everybody is willing to do what is necessary to accomplish that. Everybody wants to be in the middle of it, but not everybody's willing to do what it takes to be one. And make no mistake about it, the church is a team. Church is a team sport. And when I think of churches as a team and the excitement of being on a winning team, my mind goes to the church in the book of Acts. You might want to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. Many of you are very, very familiar with the story of the church in Acts chapter 2, I, I'm not sure that there's ever been another church that experienced quite what the church, that first church in, Act, in, in, in Acts chapter 2, experienced. It was incredible. It was amazing. And now, let's, let's just sort of back up and, and, and put ourselves in, in that place and in that time and, and understand what was going on. All right, so just a little bit before that church got started... Here's what happened. 
Jesus was crucified and put to death on a cross. It, it was a confusing time for his followers, for his disciples. Jesus had talked about his, his sacrifice for a long time, but that didn't mean they understood it. And when he went to the cross and he breathed his last breath, the disciples were very confused. They were not sure, what do I do with this? And then they took him off of that cross and they put him in a borrowed tomb. And on three days later, on Easter Sunday morning, he got up and said, no grave can hold the son of God. That's only three weeks away from today, y'all. And the power that brought Jesus out of that grave needs to be the power that we are sharing with a full house on Easter Sunday. Amen? Amen. So he had been crucified. He rose from the grave. They were all excited again. And 40 days had gone by. And now Jesus is saying goodbye again to his disciples. And they're like, whoa, whoa, wait. I mean, this is just getting good. You were killed on a cross and you walked out of the grave? Man, let's keep this thing going. But Jesus said, it's better for you if I leave. Once again, they didn't know. They didn't get it. So what do they do now? Well, they weren't really sure, but they knew that they needed to hang together. So they got themselves away, secluded themselves from everybody else, and they began a season of prayer. And if you ever wonder kind of what the secret sauce is to get the thing started, I'll tell you this morning, we need to bathe this place in prayer. And so they were praying. And the next thing you know, God sends the Holy Spirit. And it becomes something unbelievable, something nobody else had ever experienced. Peter wins Comeback Player of the Year award. He, man, the guy had been set on the sideline. Nobody thought Peter's ever going to accomplish anything. And Peter preaches a sermon like nobody has ever preached. 3,000 people belonged and joined to the church in one day. It was crazy. But that wasn't the end. That was just the beginning. Jerusalem was buzzing with people talking about what is going on with all of these Christians. Now, we know, if we know the story of Acts, we know that it was the Holy Spirit that empowered the disciples for the launch, that incredible launch of that church, that team. But what sustained it after that? Because we know that the church in Jerusalem grew like crazy. What is it that sustained that initial momentum empowered by the Holy Spirit? Let's look at Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 46. I'm going to read this to you from the New Living Translation. This will also be on the screen. All the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions they shared the money with those in need, and they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All right, so we're mostly familiar with that passage. 
Now, let me, let me kind of step back and, and create a context here. I want us to think about uh, a sports team, a, a baseball team. All right, and again, we're talking to, about care, so we're gonna get there. This is all gonna make sense to you in a moment, I think. So let's, let's say a, a team has come together for spring training. The season has started. They still have practice during the course of the season. And they have to show up for, uh, for practice and they have to show up for the game. Now, if you're a professional athlete, showing up for practice and showing up for the game, is that like the least that's expected or not? I mean, that's, that's a minimum, is it not? I mean, you're, you're supposed to show up for practice. You're supposed to show up for the game. You're on the team. Now, they may be excited about practice and they may even be excited about the game. But just because they show up for practice and the game, that's, that's a minimum expectation. Now, I hope and I pray that most of you here this morning that you show up on Sunday morning excited about the game, excited about the gathering, excited about showing up and being with your brothers and sisters on the team. I pray that's true. But can I suggest to you this morning that if we expect a member of the ball team to show up for practice and the game at a minimum, and that's not really doing anything, that's just doing what's expected of you, can I suggest that showing up for a Sunday morning service is really doing nothing more than what's expected of us as believers? See, I think sometimes we think we're doing this great thing because we showed up on Sunday morning. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're doing the minimum expected requirement by showing up on Sunday morning. But even if everybody shows up on a team, if everybody shows up for practice every time they have it, if everybody shows up for every game that they have it, that does not mean that that is going to be a great team. There are teams all the time. Everybody shows up for practice, everybody shows up for the game, and they're a lousy team. Have you seen that? I mean, I'm a, car, I'm a well, I'm not a Cardinal fan, I'm a Cub fan, so I've seen that. I've seen that. I'm also a South Carolina Gamecock, so I've seen a lot of that. So... So just, just showing up does not make a great team. You may have heard somewhere along the line, you know what makes a great team? It's this thing called chemistry. Now, what is, what is chemistry? What are we talking about? Well, I, first of all, let me relieve you. It is not that, that class in high school that everybody here struggled with. Uh, and if you love chemistry, good for you, but keep your periodic table to yourself. The rest of us do not care. <clears throat> That's not what I'm talking about, chemistry. What is chemistry? Chemistry is nothing more than an element that develops 
as people, first of all, spend time with each other, but it's more than that. It's when people not only spend time with each other, but start investing in each other's life and well-being. That is the difference between a team and a winning team. Look at chap, uh, chapter 2, verse 46 again. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Do, do you see it in that verse? Do you see that? See, ultimately, chemistry develops when people become a part of each other's life. In the early church, that church in Acts knew that just showing up for that service that happens on the first day of the week, that wasn't gonna cut it. That's the minimum expectation. That's, that's why the writer of Hebrews said, don't, don't give up on the assembling of yourselves together as some are prone to do. That's the minimum requirement. That's an expectation if you belong to the body of Christ. But the early church, they had this empowerment, they had this wisdom from the Holy Spirit that, hey, just showing up for that, that ain't gonna cut it. If we really want to carry the gospel forward, if we wanna be on a winning team, it's gonna take an investment in each other's life. And they did that in spades. They did that at an incredible level. They celebrated life together. They looked for each other. They looked out for each other. And unless and until the church in America, and more specifically Orchardville Church, unless and until we get past the mindset that we're doing something good just by showing up on Sunday morning, we will never become the winning team that God wants us to be because he wants us to be far more than that. He wants us to be invested in each other's life. There's three verses I'm going to put on the screen for you, beginning with Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Paul said, share each other's troubles and problems. Now, church, can we just be honest for a second? How in the world can you share somebody else's troubles and their problems if you ain't hanging out with them? How do you do that? It's not possible. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, he says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. Hebrews 3, 13, but encourage one another. What's the next word? Daily. Daily. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say encourage each other once a week on Sunday morning when you see each other and wave at each other in passing. Encourage each other Daily. How do you encourage one another daily unless you start investing in each other's life? See, everybody wants to be on a winning team, but not everybody's willing to do what it takes to have a winning team. Now, there's a whole lot of verses like those three on the screen in the New Testament. And church, listen, it is our responsibility to be a part of each other's life to the point that we are consistently and constantly encouraging each other, helping each other, caring for each other, and meeting each other's needs. It's a responsibility. It's not like optional. Well, you know, hey, if one week you feel like it, go ahead. 
These verses are scattered all throughout the New Testament. Why? Because this is our responsibility, not only to God Almighty, but to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are to love each other, encourage each other, care for each other, meet each other's needs. And the only way you do that is you got to invest in each other's life. That's what our Sunday Sync ministry is about. Sunday Sync is a place for you to love and be loved, for you to make friends, for you to be a friend, for you to encourage somebody, for you to be encouraged by somebody. It is the place that is accomplishing, intended to accomplish the Great Commission and all the other parts and pieces of our mission as a church is in those groups. And when we start doing that together, the devil better look out. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's talk about sacrifice. Put a couple of definitions on the screen for you. Sacrifice is forfeiture of something highly valued for the sake of one considered to have greater value or claim. That's one definition of sacrifice. Another definition of sacrifice is destruction or surrender of anything for the sake of something else. Now in baseball, a sacrifice happens when a batter is willing to make an out for the good of the team. He's willing, willing to give up an opportunity to do something grand for himself in order to help the team. Why? Because team's a sport. I mean, baseball's a team sport. And it's played by individuals, but it is a team sport. And sometimes the most important thing within the context of that team is for somebody to be willing to sacrifice, to not get what's best for them in order that they do what's best for the team. Now, your salvation is an individual choice. Nobody can get saved for you. Nobody can accept Jesus Christ on your behalf. You and God must make peace together. But when you do, you become not only an individual, you become, and it is required of you in the scripture to become a individual on a team. The local church. making a contribution for the good of the whole. A couple of passages of scripture I'll have on the screen for you here. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24. Paul said, don't think only of your own good. Think of other Christians. What's best for them? Uh, we like to think what's best for us. What's in it for me? Paul says, don't do that. What's best for others? And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve himself. Is that what he said? Who's he supposed to give, use his spiritual gift to serve? Serve others. God gives you a spiritual gift. Why, so you can brag about it? No, so you can bless 
and benefit somebody else. Now, many times this requires a sacrifice of your time. Sometimes it requires a sacrifice of your effort. I mean, can we be honest? Does it cost you time to be involved in the life of the church? Yes. Does it, does it cost you time and effort to get up maybe an extra hour early to get here to serve on a Sunday morning or be involved in a Sunday sing? Does it cost you extra time or effort? Yes, of course it does. But that is the very definition of sacrifice, is it not? Open your Bible of 2 Samuel chapter 24. 2 Samuel chapter 24. David was going to make a sacrifice to God. And he went to a particular man's threshing floor to do that. And in 2 Samuel chapter 24, beginning in verse 21, around it said, Why has my Lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. And Arana said to David, let my Lord the king take it. Offer whatever seems good to him. Look, here are my oxen for burnt sacrifice and the threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these, O king, Arana has given to the king. And Arana said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. And then the king said to Arana, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. And so David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. See, church, if it hasn't cost us something, it hasn't been a sacrifice, it's only been a convenience. So at the end of the service today and as part of our response, we've got, we've got tables set up over here on both sides of, of the sanctuary. You know what they are? Some of you have looked already. Most of you haven't had the opportunity to. They're sign-up sheets. Sign-up sheets for different areas of ministry within the church. Why is that? Because if you belong to Jesus Christ, it's really not optional for you to care, it's really not optional for you to sacrifice, it is an expectation. Will it cost you some time? Yes. Will it cost you some effort? Yes. But that is the definition of sacrifice and King David said, I will not offer to the Lord that which has cost me nothing. And so sometimes our sacrifice requires time. Sometimes it requires effort. But honestly, this morning, I, I want you to hear my heart on this. I think one, sometimes the hardest thing for us to sacrifice is our personal pride. Turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 2.
Philippians chapter 2. Paul was writing about the example of Jesus Christ. He's writing to believers. He's writing to us. And he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. You know why? Because he was God. It wasn't robbery to be equal with God. He wasn't taking anything from God. He was God. He is part of the Trinitarian Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is God. It's not robbery to be equal with God if you are God. But even though he was God, verse 7, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. See, the sacrifice of Jesus, which we will acknowledge and celebrate and express thankfulness for on Easter Sunday, that is the ultimate sacrifice. He sacrificed time without a doubt. He sacrificed effort without a doubt. But can you imagine? Can you imagine setting aside his Godhead identity to be cursed, accused, ridiculed, mocked, persecuted, and hung on a cross. And at any given time, he could have stopped it all. But he didn't do it because he humbled himself. He refused to exercise pride. And church, I think this is the hardest one for all of us. I think sometimes, you know, we may not want to sacrifice effort. We may not want to sacrifice time, but we'll do it. But to follow the example of Jesus in laying down our pride, I think that's the one that becomes the biggest barrier for almost all of us, your preacher included. See, only Jesus was perfect. We know that. That means none of us here this morning are perfect. And that means that we all make bad choices from time to time. You remember a, a series of messages that we heard recently called There are No Perfect People Allowed? There aren't any perfect leaders? There aren't any perfect followers? There just ain't no perfect people in this place. Amen? Amen. And yet, even though we know that none of us make all the right choices all the time, you, you know what pride wants to do? Pride wants us to start saying, hey, I did the right thing. Whether it was right, whether it was wrong, whether it was neutral, doesn't matter. Our pride always wants to justify our choice. And only God makes all the right choices all the time. I've been asked 
many times over the course of my ministry a question that I'm sure some of y'all have heard before people say what do I do now what do I do now and over the last several years the Lord has given me an answer that I consistently share with people because what I've learned is that in almost every case every time somebody says what do I do now it's usually in the middle of a mess right like something has gone off the rails it didn't go right and and now they, they just they don't know what to do and the answer that the Lord has given me in dealing with that question is basically this is that we can't we can't change what happened right sometimes what happened in the past is right sometimes what happened in the past was wrong sometimes what happened in the past is neutral it wasn't right or wrong it just it just was and we can't change it it is what it is and sometimes we we try, as we try to think about what do I do next and we start thinking about what's way down the road you know how much control you have over what's way down the road none big zero you know what you do have control over right now and so my answer when somebody says what do I do now my answer has become this do the next right thing whatever that is whenever that is do the next right thing